time for Lickin' On Lending. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Lickin' On Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news, all related to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Transformational Mortgage Solutions. To participate in today's program, our guest call-in line is 646-716-4972. And now here's your host of Lickin' On Lending, David Lickin. Let's begin. Let's get into today's hot topic. We've got as our guest on today's hot topic, Chris McEntee. He's president of ICE, the Intercontinental Exchange. And if you want to look out the symbol, it's traded on the New York Stock Exchange as ICE. So, Chris, good to have you back. I'm very excited. I appreciate it. And, you know, I, I always enjoy our conversation. So, you know, it's kind of allowing all your listeners to kind of eavesdrop on a, on a range of topics. And, and then, you know, it's a, a pleasure. And, of course, timely, as, as you mentioned at the top of the broadcast. Yep. Well, it's timely with ICE owning the New York Stock Exchange and would like to get some of your thoughts. I mean, listeners, we had so much feedback from so many of you responding to Chris's last interview. And if you did not listen to it, go back and we'll put it on the in the link in our website and our show notes. But there was some great thought leadership, Chris, and people recognized it. They recognized how well-read you are. They recognized the knowledge that brings and the perspective that brings. So, I'd love to get your perspective on today's market. Yeah, well, look, I, I think, you know, part of our, our role, and this is at Intercontinental Exchange as operator of the New York Stock Exchange, is, is really fundamentally is operating orderly market you know, performance. And, and I think today is a good example of, of where things operate as, as expected. Um, we've put circuit breakers in there for the controlled market flow and to make sure that data is understood by investors. You have a lot of programmatic trading, so it lets everybody take a breather and try and understand what what is really driving market sentiment. So as you saw prior to market open, I think everybody was, was braced. But the fact of the matter is, is we think about these things every day. And, and even at the outset of uh, the coronavirus and you know the kind of impact it might have on markets, we're constantly assessing what could be the consequence of high, heavy trading volume. Yeah. Uh, one of my colleagues I checked in with, uh, I think we might be hitting some record volumes. And interestingly enough, ICE is also operator of the global uh, bench crude market uh, oil oh, future. Really? Okay. Yeah. And so that, as, as you can see, that's also oh, yeah. been a big driver. So a lot of operational activity here, but uh, generally pretty smooth because working. this is what we do. Yeah, it's working. And what's interesting, as we look at it, we, we shift from the, what's going on in the global markets to the digital mortgage here. And there's some significant things you're doing, and I'm really excited about it. And I want to tell everyone again, Amy Moses, who I thank you, Amy, for being such a regular listener. You've got the Legal Risk Summit coming up, a webinar coming up. We stressed it in the first part of the program. We want to stress it again. But Chris, one of the things that could help so many lenders is to move more and more towards a digital mortgage. And there are a lot of shifts in the industry and the landscape that are happening right now, and e-mortgage is certainly one of them. And more and more originators doing higher volumes, this is a solution to them. So we've got Jenny May's pilot program. We have the Federal Home Loan Bank selecting a bank to do a pilot. What steps can companies take, Chris, to ensure e-readiness? I like that term. Yeah. Well, look, I think it's multiple dimensions of looking at operations and the conversations we've had with what I'd call the, the pioneer group. They use a range of tactics, but they've also come in with, with very targeted approaches. And rather than you know do what you'd kind of call as boil the ocean, they look at very specific parts of their production. 
focus resources on it, whether it's a piece of technology or a process or, you know, people at the end of the day, those are the, you know, the, the really the big drivers of, of operational efficiency. And so what, we, what we've been able to do, at least at MERS, is, is sample a lot of different use cases and present them in our webinar series, which, you know, is, is, is constantly surprising me just how, how hungry people are for, for, the, for the content. We've got a legal one that you mentioned um, that's being very specific to eNote and the e-registry at MERS. And uh, we, you know, we have a couple hundred folks already uh, registered for that. What's most interesting about it is also, too, that, uh, and this is what we, when we talk to people, it, it is clearly a cross-functional approach that's necessary to succeed. So when we do our events, we want to make sure that, you know, if we do something specific around legal that's important, what we find is attendees run the gamut of the industry. This is from independent councils. A lot of times it's in-house councils to larger institutions, it's vendors, and everybody's got to collaborate and work together in order to make, um, make a lot of these technologies and certainly the transition to digital effective for your organization. When you're talking about e-everything, would you explain the benefits of specifically e-recordings and some of the things that you guys are doing in that space? Well, well, yes, we are. Uh, my colleagues at Simplifile, which is uh, an Intercontinental Exchange company, they're the leaders in e-recording. And really what they've been able to do is to create connections in with the political sub, you know, jurisdictions that will accept e-recorded documents and I guess it's probably an interesting coincidence. Just last week, I mean, this is kind of a, a, a timely benefit, I guess, is uh, uh, King County, I guess, had put out a, a notice that said, we're encouraging e-recording because you won't be handing in documents that could, you know, basically uh, spread germs. So, you know, there's, there's at least one timely uh, uh, plug for, for why you'd want to e-record, right? You don't want to walk well, down that, to the that's... courthouse. You know. Yeah, that's King County, uh, Seattle. I used to, I started my career up there 46 years ago. I know those guys, and it's really interesting how that town has changed in there. But there is that is certainly one benefit. They don't have to touch any documents, and they would be the ones who, to realize that benefit. And I think the benefit too is, look, as, as people are trying to be more productive, uh, they can do these, they can do these submissions from their desktop. There uh, there's audit trail. There's almost an instantaneous acceptance. Part of the design of the approach that, that Simplifile has done is, is a, a essentially guarantee the delivery. And it's a complex process, especially for those who are active over multiple jurisdictions. But really, in, in respect to, to leading that development, there's been a lot of work uh, in terms of trying to understand what's acceptable in accounting, what the fee structures look like. So I, I really think there's, there's tremendous benefits. And what we've heard from in talking with lenders and submitters who are you know, working with the lenders is having that conversation around, okay, which parts of production do you want to go E with? And we think this is one of the, the easiest points of entry. So highly encourage it. There's other aspects of e-adoption, which are a little you know, trickier. Certainly, uh, we work a lot with people who are adopting e-notes. You know, we mentioned earlier, I think, on the broadcast is, you know, when you were talking about Ginny May, they're trying to get their pilot. That's another liquidity source. We've been working very closely with the home loan banks. And as I mentioned, we'll have a participant in the webinar talking about what their plans are to permit e-notes as collateral. So I think it's really just, uh, it, it'll likely take a pause given the things we're talking about here and just production uh, because attention will be focused on, on just, you know, uh, making hay while the sun shines. But I think in, in the future state, what I would recommend to the listeners who is saying, you know, take some of that money that you're obviously making right now and invest in the future because 
most of the analysis we've seen, both independent and in direct conversation with lenders, is productivity increases. So you're getting faster turn cycles, you're getting you know, more production out of uh, individuals, and, and that's really the payoff, right? At the end of the day, yes, uh, the consumer experience has improved, and that's really been critical, but I think most people feel that that will eventually become table stakes. But for profitability and certainly margin, there's some benefit to invest in the technology. Well, I want to shout out to you for recognizing Simplifile and acquiring the company. We had Nancy Alley on, someone I just really enjoyed as a person, as a professional in the mortgage space. And you've picked up a great company and a great team of people there. I want to get around to some of our regulars, Alice, and then I'm going to go to uh, Alan on technology and then Andy and Joe for any questions you have uh, with Chris on today's podcast. As I'm reading, I'm getting a ton of text messages in. Alice, start it off, and then I'm going to read some of these text messages as they're coming in with questions for Chris. Well, I'm sure a lot of the questions are really going to be about the market today, right? That's exactly <laughs> There is some of that, yes. Uh, so there is. Although there is some I'll, operational questions, so yeah, go ahead. All right. Well, maybe I'll pivot then on, really, since you brought up the e-recording, what percentage of lenders do you think are fully embracing a, a true e-mortgage, you know, from e-sign all the way through e-recording and are able to do that on the majority of their business? Well, you know, that's a really interesting question because we just recently did some analysis on that. Um, I know, uh, what, you know, at least one of the MERS members that's that's been out publicly was Quicken, as was mentioned earlier, too, with, with right. Jay. They've really been the pioneers. But what we're starting to see is a wider diversity of stakeholders. And in that respect, it's, it's people finding different ways of points of entry. And what I mean by that is they might do a hybrid loan, which is some of it's E, say e-signing or e-recording, but then other pieces, there's wet signatures. But we are seeing increasingly people trying to go fully digital. And that's a, a immense exercise. There's a business process reorganization effort around that. And, and some people just either, one, don't have the resources and certainly in, in the current environment don't want to dedicate them. But I think what we're seeing is a broader base of participants, both trying to get educated to understand how you make this transition. And, you know, as we've said on our webinars, it's not just a technology decision, right? You've got to get the people interface with the technology. But to give you an example of where we see things that are working, uh, we had one lender that had mentioned that they, they have a prompt as they're filling out their applications and says, you know, is this eligible for, e- for e-notes to the extent that, you know, we mentioned Civipol, again, you know whether the county is eligible. So, you know, you can know that pretty much at the outset. But what we're seeing is we're trying to come up with a distribution of where people are on the e-continuum. But right now, we, we know that certain areas are certainly more attractive and easier to adopt. So I can't give you, uh, you know, a, a distribution. We'd like to be able to start to put that data together. What we are seeing is the adoption, of course, also kind of drives a lot with just volume in general, right? California, Florida, Texas, the, the more active mortgage states you're seeing more adoptions of certainly e-notes, at least we see at MERS, and e-recording, as you see at Simplify. Alan, thoughts and questions that you have? Yeah, absolutely. And, and nice to meet you as well. I've followed, I've followed your organization for quite some time, actually, and some of the acquisitions you've made have just, have just been spot on. I guess I'll leave mine with technology and you know, enabling one is, is e-mortgages in general, and then two is the technology needed to really support 
more of your business outside of just e-notes? Mm-hmm. What, what should lenders, you know, you talk about investing in the future. Where would you, if you had to pick one or two places, where would you suggest lenders invest that, that time and money? What we've seen is a large investment, and I think there's enough data. I know that our, our friends at the Stratmore Group and a few of the other independent consultants have done some analysis. I think there was a really a very good paper out of Fannie Mae that was talking about where the dollars are going. Sound like at least initially some of the tech dollars were contributing into the point of sale services and solutions. So this is technology, obviously, to to, to attract and retain customers. And, but what we're starting to see is is investment go further and deeper into the technology stack, if you would. So so people looking at, at LOS or different type of LOS configurations. And then all the way down to e-closing, which which I think you know we obviously can can lead in that space and and are doing so with partners and really trying to get the integration so that there is a more uh, integrated solution and it's not um, what you call a best of breed where you have to piece together a bunch of different pieces of technology. We think increasingly the lenders are going to want to see some turnkey solutions, and we think that's where you really have a lot of value because you're, you're taking a lot of the guesswork out of it. So I think it, what you're seeing as you go through the process, really coming out the other side, and what I mean that is fulfillment and actually delivery into the secondary. Obviously, the GSEs have been leaders in some of the technology that they've adopted and working closely with, with lenders. And then also in the secondary market, I mean, we see it you know, in performance through different ways of you know, hedging instruments. I mean, you mentioned Optimal Blue before, you know, certainly the, their capabilities are, are, are well known. And so you have people trying to figure out what technology can either give me the biggest bang for the buck in terms of productivity. As I mentioned earlier, consumer experience is table stakes, if you would. We want to have the best consumer experience. And then also, more importantly, is how do I link these together and over time really have a more overarching strategy? So really looking at a roadmap and saying, you know, where do I want to be in an operating model in 18 months to two years? Because in some ways, it, it takes that long. And then also, you know, there's always the, the challenge that people feel there could be new entrants technology in some cases can be disruptive and and bring new entrants at a lower cost point. And so I think that's the consideration you have to think about. I would absolutely agree. Andy Schell. Well, thanks for being on Looking on Lending. I wanted to circle back to a broader market perspective, especially given your association with the NYSE, the New York Stock Exchange. Because in in some respects, the New York Stock Exchange can be a a market leader. It, It can be a a panic leader, and in some respects, what we saw today, it can also be a panic stopper. And some of those panic stoppers are the circuit breaker trading limits that kick in. So what I was wondering is, you know, today they're they're at seven, thirteen, and twenty. And I used to be with a Wall Street firm long, long time ago. But what I was wondering is, given that even five percent is a thousand point change, do you think that we should there should be is it starts sooner? Do you think we should have a five percent? trading limit because with so much e-trade so much activity so much auto trade it's almost like you need to stop fast but what do you mm-hmm. think mm-hmm. well look I, I i would leave those decisions up to to my colleague uh stacy cunningham who's the pre- president of, of nice uh fortunately she was on and cnbc i think during the halt trying to to describe to people why we do what we do there i think we're constantly looking at these you know market protocols if you would and talking with the participants that are active in the market. So I, I think, you know, I wouldn't say it's, it's crowdsourced. I mean, clearly we have to enforce and, and operate the, the markets. 
But we're always in touch with folks who try and understand, is there a fundamental market dynamic that's changed that would drive a change like that? Because as you can imagine, too, there's, you know, programmatic impact and, you know, a number of the, the participants would have to, you know, change some of the source code. You, you don't do these things immediately. And, and they're always constantly under review. And as a highly regulated, you know, entity, you know, we want to be able to have dialogue, certainly with, with our regulators in Washington, to understand what policy implications there are. But my opinion about the 5%, I, I can't really weigh in on it because I said I'm not a, not a subject matter expert, but I know this is something we look at almost continuously. And, and I will give a shout out to Stacy in light of the uh, International Women's oh, yeah. Day. So there's the first women le- female leader of the New York Stock Exchange. So it was great to see her on the floor today, at least trying to restore some sense of order. And, and that's really, again, our job. So, and I think it was effective today. Exactly. She did a great job on camera. Absolutely. Well, thanks, Chris. Yeah, and some of the questions that are coming in are is going shooting back to the e-mortgages. Everyone's asking a lot of questions about the folks, the listeners. I'm not going to put questions in front of Chris about where the markets are going. Where uh, that's not his deal. He's a uh, uh, ICE Mortgage Services, and we're going to focus in on e-mortgages with the questions. So the question, one of the questions came in, Chris, has there been any benchmarks on how much financial benefit and efficiency benefit? that you have found from e-mortgages? That's a really good question. And, and Amy, who, my colleague who we mentioned earlier and is on, is on the call, we, 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 we sift through a ton of research. And I think in the fall, there was quite a few white papers. And, and if you haven't seen them, there are dozens out yeah. there that have tried to take different angles on this. I've seen some reduction as much as half in cost of production because of technology adoption in E uh, in one, at least one, you know, sample use case uh, from a lender. Uh, I've seen velocity turnover, you know, twice or three times productivity in terms of LO and, and uh, LO productivity and application and, and underwriting and, and throughput. Uh, you see a lot of tools out there that apparently are going to have a longer-term promise. You know, these are ones that pivot off of things like uh, artificial intelligence. I think those things are still in a future state but it, and, and could have potentially really big impact. I'm also a little bit cautious of that, right, because at the end of the day, right. the code's written by a human, and uh, they're going to be accountable, <laughs> and we all know we're in a highly compliance-driven industry, so there's going to be a lot of questions on that. But But what we have seen is, Definitely, even if, if, if you make the investment, the reduction in cost is there, uh, but it's really what we've seen it, and we haven't seen any benchmark studies, and we're, we're trying to do that. Right now, it's so varied. It's, it's really hard to say, I can create a, or establish a benchmark because we've seen X amount of throughput by a wide enough diversity of users on, um, a, a, say, a similar platform. Uh, most of those decisions end up with very unique to the lender and their business model and their product line. So, you know, you can't compare as much apples to apples, but when we do see people who rolled up their sleeves, made investments, done the analysis afterward, they have seen savings and higher productivity. Great, great response. I got one question here that's coming in from someone saying, do you see, I think this is almost a rhetorical question, almost a a layup, but uh, do you see See if I can get this right. It, do you see a breakout advantage for those that have adopted e-mortgages at some point, leaving the others? In other words, is there such a competitive advantage and efficiency uh, that is going to be created by those that adopt e-mortgage that get at it and get on it thoroughly and quickly that it's going to leave those that are not in the dust and create such a competitive disadvantage? 
Look, there's other experts, too, on this call who could probably opine on it. I, I think I do believe that there will be a digital divide at some point. You, you know, It'll be driven as much by, by look, there's, there's some excess capacity. I mean, obviously, you know, that's not the case now. But if, if you see a reversal in rate and really less production, I mean, we always obviously watch all the NBA and the, the Fannie and Freddie forecast numbers. Um, if you, you draw through a lot of the refis that we're discussing here today, uh, you're going to end up with, you know, predominantly a purchase market. It's going to be more competitive and to the extent that people can withstand that competition and maintain margin through their technology investments, that's going to be really critical. To the extent that they have not made the investment nor taken the time to really understand how to become more efficient or access new markets or, or really create new opportunities, there will be a split. And I think, you you know, in some ways, you, you see, we, we pick up on little hints of it, but where, where people that we've engaged and said, look, what's your strategy around this? And they either say, well, we, we don't really have one versus others who said, look, I know this is where the market's going to go. I know this is what my consumer certainly expects. At some point, my counterparties are going to expect it, right, either for just mm-hmm. the data quality issue. And, and I think that's an important note to make because I think what you see is this, this potential increase in velocity without a diminishment of quality, right? I think people say, okay, yeah, we can put a lot of throughput, but, you know, there's defects and other issues. The promise is that you won't have that, but you'll have higher throughput. And to the extent that that's going to, you know, benefit a, a smaller group of people who've made the investment or the lenders who have done so, I think you could see that in two, three years. Though I go back to my banking days and I remember the Fed saying something like FDIC forecasting that, you know, you were going to have less than 2,000 banks in the U.S., you know, by 2010. I mean, this is decades ago and, and we know that's not the case. So there's always the question about business model evolution, who's going to adapt, who's going to make the investment, and, and thus who's going to attract the market share, right? Because a lot of this is data driven. Yeah. One of our comments is the road to digital is through data, right? And, and, and going that way and seeing how I can improve data quality, how I can use that to make my business uh, more efficient and, you know, attract new customers. Another question just came in, man. They're coming in by Lance and Air. You're a popular guest. Uh, one of the questions that came in is, do you see a tipping point or when do you see a tipping point? Going back to Malcolm Gladwell's book, The Tipping Point. Do you see a tipping point happening? And if so, any idea when? Yeah, I I can speak to I mean there's there's a couple things that I think are beyond tipping points. Uh you know, go back to the discussion on Simplifile, we're approaching I think the 100 million record that will be e-recorded. So at that point uh, you have such wide adoption that I wouldn't even I'd say it's beyond the tipping point. Um is there still a lot of paper in the industry? Yeah, there is, but but I think that's become essentially the standard. When I look at things like e-note adoption, you follow somewhat of what uh, an adoption S curve, as most you know people right. in technology will yep. know. You're you know you're going to get your exponential growth as the network effect takes place, and then you kind of get a little bit of a level off. We're we're seeing that happen right now, right? We're seeing the pioneers, but we're seeing a wider diversity. We're seeing more uh, eligibility, e-eligibility, if you would. And so if you look at that, you end up at a, you know, a 4%, 7%, 13%, you know, 38%, and then, and then, you know, a leveling off. I think we get there through the combination of the things we've discussed previously around more liquidity sources, more ability to be able to fund e-notes, um, the fungibility of, of those instruments. 
you know, I think that that will also play into the, the growth factor. But I think overall, it is one of the last markets to, quote, go digital from, from analog. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of reasons why there's people who would prefer paper and they have certain biases. Um, I think those are starting to become be overcome. But then I also think there's another dimension of this, which is a little bit of a challenge, is the technology is evolving so rapidly that people are trying to figure out, well, well, where do I make my point of entry? And an example I'll bring up is the remote online notarization. You know, e- even something like that, which is being adopted in, in multiple states. I know there's more than 20, I think. But then people are saying, well, you know, they'll conflate that in their mind with electronic notarization. And then they'll, there's just a lot to understand. Uh, we we mm-hmm. see this and, and we try to attack it in our webinar series because we really need to strip it down and people understand the language and really where digital is somewhat different. It's not just converting paper to zeros and ones. There's a deliberate, both legal and operational impact. And I think we're getting to the point where people are understanding that. And I, and I just chalk it up even anecdotally to the types of questions that you get. You know, when we did our boot camp, you know, it used to be, hey, look, I'm here doing R&D. Now people are asking very specific questions about mm. who accepts e-notes, what, yeah. you know, what custody banks are doing and things like that. So it's um, encouraging. It is encouraging. Well, on that, look at Jenny May's pilot program. Talk about that. We've been pretty instrumental in both of those in, in the sense that, you know, of course, Jenny May is, is, is a critical liquidity source, and, and we work with them at MERS in the historical function, right, which is the residential system. And so we're still trying to, you know, inform them in, in ways that we would, they want to modernize their infrastructure, right, for their issuer entities. And uh, so we're in conversations with them both from saying, here's adjustments we think you can make with policy, right, that would create more uniformity and therefore easier to adopt. I think that's one of the challenges. People will say, well, look, if I'm if half of my shop is government and, you know, how do I create a bifurcated system that costs too much? You know, you always have a, a lot of what people call the, you know, the paper out scenario where if I end right. up at the last moment, I want to be, get off the off ramp. How does that look? But more importantly, I think the Jenny May group has been very deliberate and thoughtful in terms of how they're putting that together. I think there's, a, you know, momentum around the pilot. Then there's the longer term policy changes that have to take effect. And, you know, we're trying to work and, you know, and, and really collaborate with a number of stakeholders that are going to be at that table. The federal home loan banks have been different in the sense that, you know, they got together, they've done, they, they worked as a task force on multiple levels, and this is really indicative of what I was talking about earlier, you know, cross-functional teams, legal, operational, collateral, technology, and, and really trying to look at multiple aspects of what would it mean for the home loan banks to accept e-note collateral and also, you know, ingest and, and lend against uh, e-mortgages. And that group has been really very effective. It's bringing a lot of stakeholders to the table, and so I think we're identifying at least one entity that we can say, "Look, let's let's you know, I say kind of burn a path, but let's let's try and pioneer a, a transaction type." And I think that's you know going back to the previous question, and and what we're seeing is that there's been some functional models, at least for the e-note side, and certainly through the e-recording as well as e-mortgage more broadly, that that are starting to take hold. And so one of the benefits that we're trying to get when we dialogue with people, what I call the fast followers, is, look, you don't have to cut a new path, right? To the extent that that some of this technology has already been built, it's established, it's accepted, 
kind of tuck into that. And so that's where I think the benefit of the webinars are. For the new yeah. entrants, the Jenny and the FHLBs, that's, that's going to be really exciting. I could just go on and on. The questions are pouring in. One of them that came in to listen to your last podcast is, based on all your reading, they want to have you get philosophical on this and get into where all this, the markets are going, and get your pontification on going. It, you just did a great job of really stimulating a lot of our listeners, and they love your perspective. So we've got to have you back. But as we wrap this up, let's talk about the educational efforts. Again, I want to make sure Amy should give a shout-out to Amy Moses and what she's doing there. On the eMortgage Boot Camp, it's coming up on June 23rd. And, and then, of course, the webinars, the legal webinar coming up on March 25th. Anything you want to add to uh, entice people to be there at the boot camp in person and register for the webinar in advance? Yeah, well, look, we try to get people where we can, right? So to the extent that there's constraints on travel, uh, you know, the webinar series will continue. It's consistently well attended. And the thing that's great is that a lot of peers are on there sharing their ideas. Mm. And that's what, you know, I, I look at, we, we operate ICE more broadly clearing houses. I look at, at MERS as a clearing house for information because people are hungry for it. And, and so we, we try to create the best content we can. So that's the plug for that. As far as the boot camp goes, again, we always have a, a great attendance and we really have a lot of different stories to tell. I think this year they're going to be a little more sophisticated, a little more advanced. Hopefully we can converge around some of these benchmark questions. It's, it's really a great opportunity. So I, I highly recommend it to any of your listeners. As you're talking, text messages are coming in. Several came in, and Andy Schell was right there with them, and he was asking, I'm trying to find where to register for the e-mortgage webinar. Where can I find it? He's not finding any links. What's the best place to find the links? We'll put them in our well, show notes. How yeah, else? I put them in the show notes, but uh, MERS, Inc., you know, as we know, M-E-R-S-I-N-C dot org forward slash webinars. The boot camp registration opens up on April 1st. Okay. Chris, thank you so much for coming on. You're a founder knowledge and you're a leader in the industry. You're a thought leader, which I thoroughly enjoy. I can't do these conferences and I just want to – the last time we got together at the annual conference, I mean, I just pulled you aside and we just had a great conversation. Well, uh, you know, hopefully we'll have more to report um, as, as things progress here on the e-front and really look forward. And again, thank you to the time your listeners take and hopefully it's informative to them. Don't hesitate to reach out individually. I'm sure most of them are MERS members and that's what we're here for. Yep. We're here to answer your questions. Great. Best way for people to get a hold of you or connect with MERS and just go over to the website and uh, Several people ask, can I get a hold of Chris? Can you give me his contact information? Do you want people contacting you directly? Is that uh, Should we have uh, them work no, through? I, I, no, look, I, as long as they can appreciate there's a degree of triage that I have to go through yeah. in my inbox. But, <laughs> but um, I do, either if I can respond directly to questions, I will. Uh, to the extent I can bring you into deeper subject matter experts, I will direct. So it is Christopher McEntee, the full uh, common spelling of Christopher uh, dot M C E N T E E, and that's at theice.com. Very good. Chris, thank you so much for being here. Several people wrote, Dave, this went way longer than normal. Thank you for not cutting off the discussion early because this was one of the better podcasts of what's going on and everything E. So thank you, Chris, for letting us go on and keep you a little bit longer than we originally thought, but you bring okay. a lot of great content. Thank you. Appreciate it so much. Okay, thank you. Next week, folks, we've got Ben Turlink coming with Mobility RE on the program with us. And really looking forward to this. Are you aware the databases are out there that you can access for when it comes to recruiting, when it comes to looking at what originators are actually producing? 
You'll want to tune in next week as we have Ben Terlink on with Mobility RE. Very exciting. It's a very interesting technology. I want to say a special thank you to our sponsors, Mortgage Bankers Association of America, Finastra, Lenders One, Mortgage Collaborative, the CMLA, Indicom, as well as Incelerate, Ainsworth Advisors, AI Assist, Celebrity Home Loans, Knowledge Coop, Mobility RE, Modex, Velma, VendorSurf, and Vidyard. Have a great week, everyone. Look forward to having you back here next week. You've been listening to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin' of Transformational Mortgage Solutions. Join us next week, and thanks for listening.